Good evening, everybody, and welcome into the All Kinds Weather Forecast tonight. I am your host, Chris Yanes. Neil Shulman is with us tonight, co-hosting with me. Neil is recovering a little bit still under the weather, but he's going to be back to 100% here shortly. But we're going to be having me leading the podcast, and he's going to be providing some great insights on some of the big baseball wins over the weekend, what's happening with softball, and then we're going to get into football and recruiting But before we do that, we want to go ahead and shout out our big sponsor for the show, Stingray Branding. They put a good sting in your brand and all your marketing needs, and they have been a great friend of the program for a very long time, so we're very thankful for their partnership. So, Neil, want to go ahead and get into it. We're not going to bury the lead. Baseball had, I think, a pretty exciting weekend. They went up to Oxford, Mississippi, and came away with a sweep. So, Neil, tell us about that series and kind of what your analysis of it is. Uh, it seems like this baseball team's really humming right now. Yeah, I mean, the most important or the most impressive thing I should probably say is the fact that now two seasons in a row, Florida has gone on the road and swept the defending national champs in their home park. 2021, Mississippi State wins the title. 2022, Florida goes to Starkville and sweeps Mississippi State at Duty Noble. 2022, Mississippi, the Rebels win it all. And the following year, 2023, Florida goes to Oxford and sweeps them in their home park. So kind of cool. You don't see that happen very often where you go and sweep the defending national champions back-to-back years. But, yeah, I mean, as for the games themselves, I mean, Florida showing all that they can do well in all three games. The pitching, obviously, I think is something that Florida's going to have to fine-tune a bit more as the season continues on. But down 6-3 in the eighth inning of game one, Gators come back to win 9-7. Game two, Florida's up 6-0. That game gets close again. Ole Miss comes back within 6-5. And then Florida's bats just respond and blow it open to win 12-8. And game three, Florida's only up 3-2. They blow it open late to go up 7-2 and eventually win 7-4. And that just speaks to Florida's clutch late game situational hitting, which they did not have in either of the last two seasons, of course, Florida wound up getting knocked out of its own regional in 21 and 22. So I think when you talk about, well, why is this year different? Because Florida hosted regionals in those seasons. Well, why is this team going to be that different? Well, because that's one thing that they didn't have those years, and they're showing that they have it consistently now. So good for them. Let's keep it going for sure. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that just sticks out with me with this team is there's just not – there's never quit attitude. You know, they're never out of it. They've come back from multiple deficits throughout this season. The FSU game primarily the week before or during the same week during the Ole Miss series sticks out of my mind too. They were down, I think it was 5-2, and then they ended up coming back to win 9-5 to in that late rally. So just, you know, really good stuff from this team thus far. What are kind of put it into context, though? This is a team that hasn't made a college world series in Omaha since 2018. They they they've they certainly would have probably done it in 2020 if not for the pandemic. Put into context, last five years, how good is this team? Well, it's a pretty good one. I'd say the bullpen is what's holding it back from couching it as the the favorite to win it all this year, I think. Uh, LSU is probably still the team to beat in the country right now. But, I mean, this offense is verifiably one of the best in the country. Team batting average is 328, which is fourth best in the country. Gators have 296 hits on the year. That's third most in the country. 61 homers on the year. That's second in the country. 621 slugging percentage. 
That is the best in the country. And Florida scored 260 runs so far this year, which is fourth best in the country. That one's a little skewed as well as the homers because those aren't percentages or you know numbers per game. It's just the, the overall gross number and different teams have played different number of games. But that goes to that speaks to just how powerful <clears throat> this Florida offense is. As you can see, I'm still under the weather, so I may have to clear my throat a few times throughout this. But um I mean, yeah, 295 teams play Division One baseball, and there you have Florida in the top five in every single major statistical offensive category. So when you talk about how good Florida is, well, top five in every statistical major, every major statistical category level good. And the pitching for Florida, uh, the starting pitching has been good. I wouldn't call it great. It's definitely been above average for an SEC team or a, a serious Omaha contender team. Uh, Brandon Sprout, Hurston Waldrep, and Jack Caglione are, are three certainly well above average starters in the SEC. Maybe you can say Sprout has been slightly disappointing just because of how highly touted he was. I mean, being a third round pick in last year's MLB draft and he chose to come back, you think, all right, this guy's going to be the ace. He's going to be you know, one of the legendary pitchers, maybe not quite that level, but he's still been a very good pitcher for the Gators. And the guys behind him have been good too on Saturday and Sunday in Hurston Waldrop and Caglione. It's been the bullpen. Uh, it's been the bullpen all year long to this point. It's gotten a little better. I like what Brandon Neely's done more recently, but it's just, it's still not quite at a point that I can objectively trust it to not be the weak link of this team as they go forward. Yeah, and I think as the season goes on, we'll have something to monitor and track how the pitching improves. I remember back in 2017, there we it didn't seem like that team was actually maybe even Kevin O'Sullivan's best team that ended up ultimately winning the title. But he kind of found a rotation of guys that he was able to trust later in the season, come tournament time, and it ultimately worked out. So we'll see if they're able to do that this year. And above all, uh, on Jack Caglione, or better known as Jack Tani, maybe the best player in the entire country. So having a guy like him on your roster who can not only be your third starter, but also just continue. Actually, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, has more home runs than singles so far this season, which is a pretty incredible stat and, and the power that he can bring to a ball club. So final, as we wrap up baseball, Neil, uh, a lot of our listeners and fans of the show see your graphics that you put out for your version of baseball bracketology. Kind of where do you think this team stacks up with the rest of the country and, and where right now do the Gators stand in, in the grand scheme of things? I think LSU is head and shoulders above the rest. They're they're just the best team in the country to me, looking at them from the eye test and from looking at their RPI and their their statistics and their raw resume. They have a win. They have a series win over currently the number six team in the country. Usually when you, when you beat a team uh, two out of three times, in a weekend, they tend to kind of fall down. So, I mean, example, Florida goes to Ole Miss and sweeps them. They were 13. Taking three losses in a week is what the voters see. That knocks them out of the ranking. Arkansas was a top five team. And after getting beaten two out of three by LSU, still sits at number six in the overall rankings. I think their RPI is four. So LSU's got the most impressive bullet point on its resume, and they've done nothing else to really dissuade me from thinking they're number one. I think Florida and Wake Forest are kind of jostling for number two and number three. I might, in the most recent bracketology, I had Florida at number two. I might want to rethink that and maybe swap Wake Forest at two for Florida at three, just because I think Wake's pitching is a little bit better than Florida's. But I mean, really, that's negligible. It doesn't really matter. The number one, number two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight teams all have 
the exact same path to Omaha because being a top eight seed means you're going to host the regional and the super regional round. So one versus four versus seven versus two versus six, that's, that doesn't, I mean, maybe you can say it'll help you a little bit more in the super regional round by drawing a slightly weaker opponent. But I mean, at that stage, it's all just to throw the ball out and let's go and let's play. So it's, it's, there's just, there's so much randomness that goes into it. So I wouldn't worry too much about whether, whether Florida's one or two or five or seven or whatever. Florida's at this point, just solidifying its resume to be a top eight seed. Cause that's what really matters. Hosting that super regional round as well as the regional. And I think the closer, you know, obviously the closer you are to number one, the more solidly safe you are to do that. So Florida has done nothing so far to, to tell me that they shouldn't be a top eight seed. Well, it's exciting, and, and 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 who do the Gators now have uh, next coming up this week? Obviously, the Florida State series was postponed due to inclement weather in Jacksonville. That will be replayed in May. But what's the SEC schedule look like this weekend? So Florida's got a, a series against Auburn, which could be a series that I think Florida you, – you might see them lose a game just because I think Florida's bullpen might get a little – I don't, I don't want to say cocky. It's no, no such thing as that in, in baseball. But I think that this is a game where Auburn might be able to string some hits together just because it's not Arkansas or LSU or Vandy or like one of those top, top, top opponents. So maybe Florida pitchers in the bullpen think that they can try to pinpoint those spots and get a little cute and maybe try to put another three or four miles an hour on a pitch that they don't have to. And that's where they get wild or miss their spots and put it over the middle and get ripped apart. So, I mean, it's hard to predict that, but I think – like Florida's pitchers might not be quite as on their game. Or Florida's relievers, I should say. I trust Florida starters. Florida's relievers might not be quite as on their game as you would think they would be in a normal weekend. Yeah. So, yeah, now looking ahead, Florida obviously had the schedule changed a little bit this past week. There was inclement weather in Jacksonville. So that game with Florida State is going to be rescheduled in May. But this weekend we have a pretty big series against Auburn. So what are you looking for out of the team this weekend in that matchup? Yeah, I mean, Auburn is a team that I think is is better than their record shows. Uh, sorry, Bill Parcells, but I mean, they're they're two and four in the SEC. They're 17 and seven overall, but they're they lost all three games to Arkansas, who, as we just talked about, is a top six team in the country. And then they they beat Georgia two out of three. So I think when you look at two and four, you look at them and go, well, they're not very good, but it tends to be misleading when half of your games are against one of the top six teams in the country. And, you know, they, they put together some, some really scrappy at bats. I think Florida's bullpen has to be on its game. Uh, don't, you know, try to get cute. Don't try to add two or three miles an hour to a pitch. Don't try to pinpoint it and miss by, you know, three inches instead of one where it ball just sits over the plate and it's ripped in the gap. Um, just, you know, the bullpen has not been, exactly the most stable piece of Florida's we've been talking about earlier in the pod. So I think if Auburn can get to Florida's bullpen and, and force them to win the game, it's going to be up for grabs. So I don't think this is a series that you'd say Auburn is favored to win, but I could definitely see Auburn taking a game. And if they can beat up our starters and get to our bullpen, it becomes a very, very interesting situation. So don't be fooled by their record. Auburn is a very solid team. I've, we just talked about bracketology. I've got them in the tournament as a regional two seed, which is like the equivalent of a of a five to an eight seed in, in the basketball tournament. So, uh, you know, Florida's got to be on their game this weekend. It's not an easy opponent. And in fact, no SEC opponent will be. So that's that's the life of the Gators in the SEC. Indeed. Well, we look forward to that series and hopefully the Gators can keep the momentum going. Switching to the other sport of the diamond, the ladies softball team, unfortunately had some misfortune, bad luck this week. 
against Arkansas. They were not as successful. They they are a a top they have a top fifteen ranking, but they seem to have been struggling a little bit ever since SEC play has started, and that was highlighted uh, at Arkansas. So tell us about that series, and and we're really the softball teams at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any real reason to panic. I think that when you play a, a sport 60, 65, 70 times in the course of a season, like softball and baseball do, there, there are going to be games where you just get your doors blown off. And that's, you know, it happens. It happens in the postseason, too. And you have two out of three series. You have, I mean, there was the, the situation with Arkansas baseball a couple of years ago. They won their first game of the Super Regional 21-2. to two, And everyone was going, oh, my God, why should NC State even bother showing up the next two games? And Arkansas loses the next two games, and their season's over. So just because Florida got blown away, Arkansas 14 to one. I don't think there's any real cause for concern for the season. There are some holes on this team. I would say uh, there, there are definitely some inconsistencies with the pitching. I think Elizabeth Hightower has done more than her fair share. She had a bad game against Arkansas and another bad game earlier against Oregon, but for the most part, she's been solid. I really like what I've seen from Riley Trilicek in the circle. I think she's grown leaps and bounds from her freshman year, 2020, and I like what I've seen from Avery Gell stepping up into a much bigger role on the offense. We, we knew what Charlotte Eccles can do. I'm not going to spend too much time you know, praising her because I, I think we all knew that she was a very, very good hitter. And she's continued to be that very, very good hitter. So good for her for keeping that up and adjusting to pitchers as you know, her career progresses. But Avery Gell steps into a much bigger role than she's had before. I think it really started last postseason in the Super Regional against Virginia Tech. And she has just picked up where she left off to start the year and has continued to hold that pace throughout the year. She's hitting, I think, 342 last I checked this year. So, I mean, if, if, if she keeps the bat going and she gets a little help from her teammates here and there, I think Florida is going to have what it takes to get that top 16 spot as we were talking about with baseball it's the same with softball you got to be a top eight team to host a regional and a super regional top six team will host will get you to host that regional so i think florida still very much has that top 16 in its grip i think if florida does get hot down the you know down the stretch they could maybe sneak into that top eight if they win some big series against the good teams and do well in the sec tournament and maybe host that super regional round two don't know how likely that is but I think it's still early enough that you can say everything that Florida can do to set itself up for the easiest possible run to OKC in terms of hosting the first two stages of the NCAA tournament is still very much in their uh, within reach for them. So I wouldn't be too worried about them, despite how bad that score was. Well, hopefully they can figure it out and, and continue to pressure the season. Uh, we definitely have confidence in, in what Coach Tim Walton can do and has, has seen what he's done over the year. So switching gears now really quick to – that's all of the diamond sports. I'm going to give you a quick update on basketball and the recruiting there. Obviously, the NCAA tournament's going on. The Final Four is this weekend. Former assistant, Florida assistant Dusty May, has led the FAU Owls to the Final Four. So I think a lot of Gator fans will be watching that. But as far as where we look to next year, Todd Golden has been on the recruiting trail. He has to replace up to nine guys from the roster and over the last week has hosted at least two players, one of which is former Iona guard uh, Walter Clayton, who was on an official visit this past week. He averaged 16 points for 
assists, three rebounds, very efficient shooter, very good three-point shooter, which I think Florida has lacked over the last couple of years, really, and has been a big problem for this team in the, this past season. You know, definitely a guy I think Florida has a good chance with, especially because we can offer him the ability to come in and start at the guard position. But I will say he is going to be visiting St. John's where his former head coach, Rick Pitino, uh, just took the job. So he's going to be visiting a school where his former head coach uh, is now coaching. That is going to be, I think, competition for us. And and we'll see uh, what that brings. But definitely a guy that I think would really help Todd Golden, especially in the shooting uh, game where Florida needs a lot of help offensively. They struggled at times to really generate offense from their shooters. A lot of it ran through Colin Castleton this past year. And as we all know, Colin Castleton will not be here next year. There's a good chance we won't really have a, we may not even have a big man at his capability. So a lot of the scoring might have to come from our shooting game. So we'll look to see what Walter Clayton does there. I would anticipate some sort of decision coming after the final four uh, in the next week or so. The other guy that we had visit is former Yale forward uh, EJ Jarvis visited this past week. He jumped in the transfer portal about two weeks ago, uh, played in the Ivy League. This was actually one of Yale's best seasons uh, as of, uh, to the last decade. They finished with a 29-9 and record. Jarvis was one of the leaders on that front court there, averaging almost 11 points a game. Uh, six rebounds, but he also was actually a pretty good shooter. Uh, was a 41% three-point shooter, highly effective two-point shooter. And, you know, we, we are going to need a, a lot of forward play. I mean, Florida is just not returning a lot of production next year. So EJ Jarvis would be a guy that could definitely bolster that. He's garnering a lot of interest, though. Cal, Georgetown, Miami, who just made it to the Final Four. Uh, Notre Dame, who's going through a coaching change right now. So we'll see. I, I think there's a lot of irons in the fire, but those are two names to look out for over the next couple of weeks. And we'll continue to update you as the roster for 2023-24 season fills out for Todd Golden. But we'll go ahead and move on to football now. Today, I think a lot of folks might have been watching the pro day that went on. Uh, Anthony Richardson, I think, put on a little bit of a highlight show. He put on a show in Indianapolis last month at the NFL Combine, running an impressive 4-4-3, 40-yard, uh, broke the quarterback vertical jump record with 40 and a half inches. Yeah, he pops off the charts, but today he showcased what his arm could do and proved that we might actually need a roof expansion at the indoor practice facility. So, Neil, what are your, some of your takeaways from the pro day? I, I think, you know, just – from my from my perspective, I think Anthony is solidified himself as a top five prospect. He'll be one of the first two or three quarterbacks taken off the board. It just really depends on what NFL teams uh, value in their potential quarterback. But there were some other guys that I think had to have a big day. Amari Bernie was one of those guys that I kind of think of. Ran a four five forty. Uh, seemed to be pretty athletic. So overall, what are your takeaways from the from the from the pro day? Well, first, thanks for the voice rest on basketball. I needed those couple minutes to chug some water and Gatorade. Uh, I'm not going to waste them on a sport that I think has a lot of Gator fans very, very discontented right now. Um, yeah, I mean, Richardson has to be one of the takeaways. The fact that he can, the fact that he can literally hit the roof when he's not even trying to. He's just trying to toss a rainbow down the field to give that much time for his defender to get under it in a hypothetical situation, and it just happens to hit the roof. It was you know, pretty telling. There's also a video of him sitting down, like actually actively sitting and tossing a dime, which is 
ridiculous. And in the NFL, you can do that because in college, you know, when you're down, you're down, whether someone touches you or not in the NFL, you can slip and fall down. And if no one touches you, you can still just throw the ball or, or get up and run or whatever. So that does have some value beyond just, Oh, cool. You know, so good to see that. Uh, I think NFL scouts will prefer to see him get up and then throw the ball on his feet, but just, you know, a nice little tidbit about him that he does have an ability. Um, Dexter has to be one of the winners for me. I think he he did a lot to impress all 32 teams that were in attendance there. Uh, he, he looks really good in drills. I didn't see any official numbers from him today. Maybe that's because I've been uh, asleep for part of the day, trying to sleep this off and working my full-time job when I was awake, but I did not see any numbers, but he looked good in the highlight clips that I saw of him. So I think he definitely definitely won some scouts over just from reading some of the some of the some of the comments about him um also like what i saw from brenton cox it was it's a, it's a, it's a sad story with him you know he he didn't get to finish out his career at florida because he he made some choices that he probably shouldn't have made but good to see him get back out on the field with his former teammates and i i think he did well i think that you know he what was his his vertical i think was 30 i'm gonna double check that before i tell the whole world that but i think his vertical leap was was about 30 uh yeah it was it was 30 uh which is which is solid for a linebacker you're not going to have him you know out jumping wide receivers but that was you know that was respectable and amari bernie i think had 33 on the vertical leap so another you know, good number from him there and you know he actually out jumped jordan pouncey who is a wide receiver you can talk about how useful of a wide receiver he was at Florida, but he was a wide receiver and Amari Bernie out jumped him and Burton Cox was a half inch below him. So for linebackers to have those kinds of numbers was very good. And they also look good in the drills that I got to see. So good to see those guys, uh, you know, show out one more time in Gainesville. Yeah, no doubt. And I, and I think there's going to be some guys that ultimately do get drafted. I, I was happy to see Amari Bernie put on a show and really showcase his athleticism. I think an NFL team might take a chance on him potentially in day three or as an undrafted free agent, if that's the route that he does have to indeed go. But I think there are options out there for Amari Bernie to get drafted. Ventron Miller as well, who was the quarterback of the defense. He's that 4D type player who really understands where everybody needs to be aligned and getting guys set up and ready. And that that stuff that was showcased on film, he's a surefire tackler, certainly might lack the speed of some of the traditional, more athletic NFL linebackers that we've started to see enter the league over the last 10 years. But I think he's a guy that is going to be a great teammate and a great guy to have in the locker room. And I think could definitely make an NFL roster outside of that. Gervon Dexter, I think, like you said, I, I agree. I think he really – but I think he kind of helped himself at least – I don't want to say guarantee, but increase the odds that he can be a day two pick in the NFL draft. And I think that that's really what he needed to do today is to get that second, third round grade to make it worth coming out of school early this season. So definitely hope that that all works out for him. And, you know, I, I'm, I got a shout out to uh, Osiris Torrance, who just un, unveiled his brick. Uh, in front of the stadium yesterday, I think it was really cool how the coaching staff and and the administration did a, a full on ceremony for him. Hopefully, we'll be putting a lot more bricks over the next couple of seasons here. But I think Osiris Torrance is a guy that will probably be a first round draft pick. I mean, I, it's NFL scouts are you know just absolutely enamored with the fact that all he had started four years and gave up one single sack in that entire time. 
And there are plenty, and you can't put a price tag on protecting the quarterback and having a strong offensive line in the NFL. Teams that do not have strong offensive lines in the NFL do not go far. They do not go far in the NFL playoffs, yet it'll maybe even make the NFL playoffs. There's going to be a lot of teams, I think, later uh, in that first round who made the playoffs and, and maybe need to bolster it or add a starter potentially there. I think he's a guy that could slot in day one and actually make an impact on an NFL team. So really look forward to that. And I think overall, if you really just look at the participants in pro day at the combine, we had nine guys, former Gators at the combine. I, I think you're going to see at least anywhere from five to eight guys drafted, which you know, to be honest, after having two straight seasons of six and seven football, I think it's pretty impressive and, and does show that we, you know, do bring in talent to this program. Still, we have the ability to put guys into the league and develop them to be ready for the NFL. Now is the time to, to continue to sell that on the recruiting trail and, and to continue to build up our program, which leads us into our next topic tonight. We did get a recent commitment uh, from your safety Josiah Davis. Uh, Josiah Davis is a he's right now he's projected as a safety. You actually talk to him. Uh, some of the reporter beat writer reporters have discussed the fact that he was offered or has been recruited as an athlete. Some schools actually were recruiting him as an offensive player, but he has told teams his desire to play on the defensive side of the ball and Florida and Corey Raymond of all people actually agreed and they did offer him as a safety, which ultimately put Florida over the top in his recruitment. And they got him to finally commit this past week. It was Florida's fifth commitment of the 2024 cycle. Uh, Josiah Davis is kind of right now on that fringe of becoming a three or a four-star player and the two, four, seven composite. That's really because two of the four, Recruiting outlets, rivals in ESPN haven't given him a rating yet, but both 247 and on three have given him a rating that is somewhere between a three and a four star. I, I, I You look at his tape, Neil, I think he's a guy that show, flashes a lot of athleticism, decent amount of speed, not elite speed, but pretty good speed. He's about an 11, 200 yard dash. He does track in high school. But if you watch his highlight tape, I mean, this guy has a ton of returns in the kick game and the punt game. Uh, he just flies to the ball on defense for as far as tackling and and coverage. I think there is he's I think he's going to come in as a very raw prospect, not a guy that is probably a day one contributor is going to have to grow and learn into the position. But, you know, if Corey Raymond identifies a guy, I'm going to trust that evaluation. And I think I'm going to remind Gator fans last year there was a three star cornerback out of Kissimmee, Florida. His name is Jakeem Jackson, who in some places became a top 100 player, depending on the outlet you looked at by the end of the cycle. And as we're going to get into it a little bit here, when we talk about the spring practice notes, it's already starting to prove that he could play on an SEC field this coming season. So I'm going to trust Corey Raymond with this evaluation, but Neil, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Josiah Davis and, and that recruitment. Yeah. I'll use the little bit of voice I have to just talk about how quick he is to hit his top speed. I don't think that the speed itself is, is super impressive, but he hits it immediately. The acceleration is is very, very impressive to me that he shows on tape. And I mean, it, it kind of makes sense that a guy who also plays basketball and runs track would be good at hitting his top speed immediately. Like take the sport of football out of it and just think logically and, and you know, just think physics. Yeah, that kind of checks out. But the good thing is, I don't care how or why the physics of it work. The fact is that is what he brings. He hits his top speed immediately. He can get himself into foot races 
and be at his top speed instantly. That's the one thing that really popped out on his tape. And the rest of his tape is good. Um, there are a lot of returns on there. He talked about how he's being recruited by different schools as different positions. They're at least on his huddle tape. I haven't you know seen any additional ones he may have put on YouTube, but I typically go by the huddle tape because that's where you know most kids put their stuff. So the huddle tape has a lot of a lot of returns, a lot of plays on offense, and a little bit of everything with him. So it would make sense to me that Florida would offer him as a safety, but also. It also makes sense that he's being offered as other things. He's He could be a very good return man for Florida. That's not something that's exclusive in terms of you can, you know, you're only going to be a Florida to play this position or that position with the return man duties on top, but it's not like playing offense or defense. You can have the return man uh, position tacked onto whatever your, your duties are. So his explosiveness there could definitely be worth something to Florida on special teams, even his kickoffs are, you know, becoming less and less of a thing. I think still with punt returns, uh, he could do some damage there. So I like to take, it's not one that I, I jump for joy about. There is some developmental work to be done with him, but I think it is, it is certainly a solid take. And if we learn anything about, you know, Napier and Raymond, what, what you just said to echo that thought, we're not really, it, it's not really been proven to be wise to doubt a take that Corey Raymond wants. Yeah. And I mean, this staff didn't really have a lot of quote unquote uh, takes, you know, I think that, that, that kind of can get a, a negative connotation by some, you know, I think last year the staff was very tactical about who they did give offers out to, and they didn't process a lot of kids out of the 2023 class. Most of the guys they offered that they got to commit ultimately did end up signing on signing day. And in last year, like we talked about, the issue wasn't the 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 overall talent, I think. It was more of those top-end elite guys, those five stars that were lacking that kept us from getting into that tier one, tier two recruiting ranking that we need to hit this time around in 2024. So kind of talking about that, though, Florida does, while last year we, like I just mentioned, were, did not have as many top 100 or five-star guys. Right now, Florida, after the raking updates as of last week, has three, not just top 100 guys, top 40 guys in one five-star committed. Obviously, that five-star is the leader of the class, quarterback DJ Lagway. And then we have two guys, linebackers, Mile Graham and uh, – sorry about that. Excuse me. Uh, who's uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Who the other linebacker is, Neil? Darius Hayes. I gotta do that. Let me do that take again. I need I should have known that one. Okay. Okay. So yeah, Florida right now looking at that, they need to have more elite takes in the next class. And I think looking at this one, we do have a lot of good talent coming in already committed. We have three, not just top 100 guys, top 40 guys leading that class is five-star quarterback DJ Lagway. Then you have four-star Argarius Hayes, who got a major ratings bump, who was always a consensus top 100 guy, but now he's a consensus top 40 guy. And then linebacker Miles Graham, who's, who's been on that fringe of becoming a five-star linebacker in the class. So these guys, I mean, they're right there on the cusp of becoming five-stars. They are the highest of the highest four-stars you can get. And then there's Chauncey Bowens, who the staff identified early in the cycle He's a guy that was kind of, you know, your middle of the range four star right on the fringe of being a top 300 player. He's now almost a top 200 player. And that might be attributed to the fact that University of Georgia has all of a sudden 
as many might believe, is their top running back in their class. They they think that Chauncey Billings might be Kirby Smart's top uh, running back on his recruiting board. So that's going to be a tough fight to 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 bring him and keep him in the class and get him to to sign. But it's good to have him committed. That was the thing last year that I, I can't stress enough. A lot of people were frustrated by the fact that they just didn't get the commitments to come. And now we're getting the commitments from the guys earlier in the cycle. And having a guy like DJ Lagway leading the class is huge. You know, when you have a guy headlining the class like him, especially at the most important position on the field, you're able to get guys to visit more often. You're able to hopefully get them to either flip or commit from other schools. And that's highlighted by the fact of the big visit that this past weekend was Jeremiah Smith, Ohio State commit wide receiver out of South Florida uh, in the in the Broward County area. Committed to Ohio State last year, kind of surprised some people with that commitment, but has a very good relationship with Coach Brian Hartline up in Columbus. Uh, but he has formed a very tight bond with DJ Lagway during the recruiting process. And DJ actually flew in. He's really either got a private jet or got some frequent flyer miles building up as the many times he's returned to Gainesville. But he is visited campus. They seem to hit it off. They seem to have a great uh, time together. And, you know, as DJ Lagway said, he said, stay tuned. After after that visit. And, you know, obviously guys are going to hype up visits. They're going to hype up the relationships they have with guys on the trail. But it, it seemed very genuine. Jeremiah seemed like he had a very good time on campus and, and does have a good relationship uh, with the staff. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. That's going to be a tough one. Uh, but, and I, you know, he's not just getting interest from Florida to flip. He's getting interest from the other big schools, even the school down in South Beach there at University of Miami, closer to home for him. So we'll have to see. That's going to be, I think, a recruitment that, you know, people are going to take their shot until signing day. Uh, but we'll see. It's, it's You have to get him on campus and you have to get him on campus frequently. And there's some trust in DJ Lagway there. Other guys visiting campus that same weekend, we had offensive tackle Ty Helton. Uh, Ty is a four-star offensive tackle. Uh, you know, in Florida right now, they've done a good job addressing the linebacker position in this class thus far. They now have a safety committed. I think they're going to take more safeties as they're looking for a flip from a guy like Jordan Pride from Florida State. I think there's a lot of smoke that that might actually come to fruition. We'll see in the next couple of weeks. But Ty Hilton leads that offensive lineman group and as a potential commitment, and we have none right now. And uh, Florida had to go through the transfer portal this past cycle to fill out those needs on the offensive line. It would be nice to see us take some high school players and, and develop them over a four-year period instead of having to go through the portal and kind of plug and play. So we'll see what happens with him. And then uh, Billy Napier has shown a prowess that he can actually bring in and get top-flight quarterbacks to commit. He did – uh, get Jaden Rashada to commit. We don't want to go any further back into that whole saga, but he still got a top 100 player quarterback to commit this past cycle. He has DJ Lagway currently committed now. And in 2025, he is already starting to look at Austin Simmons, quarterback out of Pahokee, Florida. For those that may not know where Pahokee is, that is down by Lake Okeechobee in the South Florida area, uh, near Bell Glade, where some other big Gator greats like uh, Riedel Anthony and Fred Taylor have come out of. So an area of that has some very good high school football and recently got a scholarship offer from Kevin O'Sullivan and the baseball team. So Billy Napier seems to have a knack for these dual sport quarterbacks. Uh, so we'll see. Well, you know, I think Billy Napier is already getting on the trail. He's already got a lot of guys on campus and big names. And the other big name that I'll highlight is Chance Robinson. 
Neil, I don't know if you want to kind of touch on him a little bit, but that's another big South Florida wide receiver that DJ Lagway has a good relationship with, has a good relationship with the staff and a guy that we definitely need to get in the class. So any insights on him? Yeah. So for those who don't know, I actually, uh, I actually do know Chance Robinson personally fairly well. I met him at James Houston's draft party almost exactly a year ago now. Um, so he's a good family friend. We talk every so often, not every day, but you know, every now and then we talk about his commitment or his recruitment and, and he likes Florida. He genuinely likes Florida. He also really likes the Miami hurricanes. He is a South Florida kid. He grew up a Canes fan. Um, and just, just a couple of days ago, he was talking about how, how happy he was that Miami's basketball program is doing well. So, you know, it's going to be hard to, to pry him away from his hometown school. I do think that he's gotten a good relationship built with both of Florida's uh, last two receivers coaches and Kiri Colbert, which doesn't do any good anymore, but more importantly with Billy Gonzalez. So I think that's going to help. And I think he sees Florida as a more, a more genuine place to, to go and play. But I also think that he sees Miami with all its history and its tradition as a place that he can go, you know, help revitalize and help, you know, the, you get back and all that good stuff. You know, the, the glory days with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Sean Taylor and Jeremy Shockey and Ken Dorsey and all those. I mean, he, he sees, you know, himself as someone that could go and, you know, be the next name there after like a 20, 25 or so year break uh, from all the, all the, all the glory that they've had. So it's going to be hard for Florida to pull him away. I think that, he genuinely did enjoy his visit to Florida. I haven't talked to him uh, since the visit because I've been not really talking to much of anybody. But um, you know, I think that he enjoyed the visit. I think he was he was definitely looking forward to the visit, and I think that the University of Florida did nothing to disappoint him. I think right now, if I had to pick where he goes, I'd probably say Miami. But that's that's very much subject to change. It's not a done deal by any means. Florida definitely made a good impression on him this weekend. And I, I think that's going to be one that uh, Florida, Miami, and FSU, I think FSU will have a hand in there. I think that's going to be one that Florida, Miami, and FSU will be fighting for a long time. Even even if he were to make his commitment and pull the trigger on one of those three schools in the next month or two, I think that's going to be one that's fought all the way down to signing day. So um, other guys you touched on, Jeremiah Smith. I know he's close with Lagway. I think that definitely helps. I would not count Florida out by any means. I just think that's going to be a very, very steep uphill battle. I'm not saying we can't win it, but as you, you know, you, you touched on his relationship with Brian Hartline in Columbus. I've, I've just heard too many things about just how much he likes Ohio state. I think the commitment did surprise people initially, but I think that relationship is so, so tight with Hartline as well as some of the other commits to Ohio state. I think that's just going to be one that if we get him, great, but I, I wouldn't count on it. And that, you know, that's why we're going after other receivers. And that's also why we'll talk about the current group of Gators in a minute with spring practice. But I mean, that's, that's kind of why we just landed three wide receivers that we can really, really trust to do big things with Eugene Wilson, Andy Jean and Aiden Mizell. Those are three receivers that we're going to have for at least three years. Well, presumably let's I mean one of them doesn't transfer or anything, but we're going to have them for three years, which kind of takes the pressure off of having to land that elite top flight receiver in the next couple of classes. Of course, it would be great. And of course, we're still going to continue to recruit the position. That's why we've got Irons in the fire for Smith and Chance Robinson. But the pressure isn't quite there to land that that top, top, top flight guy 
the way it was before we got those those three guys that we landed in this past class. So, and look, if we don't wind up with Smith and we wind up with Chance Robinson, that's not that's not really a backup option because Chance Robinson's a very good receiver in his own right. I know Smith has all the hype. He's got the Ohio State commitment. He's got all the offers from Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and Texas and Oklahoma and whatnot. But this kid, Chance Robinson, is is day one ready, and he's not even gone through his senior year of high school yet. He looks – I mean, his frame plus his tape, he looks like he could be dropped into the Florida offense and contribute right away. So if that is what we wind up with, don't don't take that as a silver lining or, or, or a backup plan sort of mentality. That's going to be a big-time get if we can get him. Yeah, I mean, I think at that position right now, overall, there's other names, and and we'll continue to get into it as the as the spring and, and we get into the summer. But Florida really is targeting elite players at the skill positions, and having a guy like Billy Gonzalez back at Florida, I think can make a difference. You know, he he was able to bring in some guys uh, in his tenure at during the Urban Meyer years, and, and make no mistake about it, I know a lot of fans, and not not again on hand with Billy Gonzalez. I think he's actually going to make a difference this time, his third round here with Billy Napier. Billy Napier is he was a former wide receivers coach at Alabama. He is the guy that is developing that wide receiver board. He has final sign up on that because that is the position he has coached throughout his career. So I would say that between the two of them and just some of the other offensive uh staff members, that's a position I, I'm gonna sleep at night knowing whether we get Chance Robinson or Jeremiah Smith or somebody else that we're targeting at the wide receiver position. I think I feel pretty good and confident that we'll be able to to land somebody. So we'll see. We have a couple of visits coming up this weekend. We'll put that out on the recruiting handle. Definitely make sure to follow all of our handles, add in all kinds of weather and add an IOKOW recruiting. So we're going to be putting more information out there. I would say to be potentially on commitment watch for a couple of guys by then. Four star Keenan Daniels recently got some crystal balls. Uh, you know, 5'11", 190, really good frame, kind of a kind of a bowling ball, just a hard-nosed runner, that runner that Billy Napier has seemed to really like uh, recruiting to the University of Florida. Uh, guy that I think potentially could be on commitment watch, has visited Florida recently, good relationship with Jabbar Jaluk. Uh, so we'll see what happens. He is from Mississippi. Mississippi State is in that one just being the home state team. But I think Florida has a chance to do that and maybe close the deal by the time the spring game rolls around especially if they get him back on campus. The other one that I'm looking for is Kendall Jackson, a defensive lineman. He is a hometown kid from Buchholz High School in Gainesville. You know, real good guy, good frame that I think could fill out and could either play that end role, uh, maybe that edge rusher. I think that recently the staff had indicated that might be what they want him to play. It's more of an edge rusher guy. He can put his hand in the dirt or stand up and rush the passer. Kind of like the role that Britton Cox played on on the team this past year. But I think that's a guy that and he's Florida's to lose. Uh, you know, I, I know he's kind of a high-end three-star guy, but his rating has only continued to rise as he's continued to play at high school football, attend other camps. So, you know, I think he ends up as a guy that could potentially end up in that blue chip range. We'll see what happens. But he's somebody – those two guys right there are, are ones that I would look for to to potentially join the class here shortly. So we'll see. And then I mentioned Jordan Fry as a potential flip candidate for Florida State. Ever since he's committed to Florida State, he's actually been on Florida's campus more. So I, I think that that's one. And now that Corey Raymond has really taken over the safeties room, somebody that I would anticipate to, to to see maybe we get that flip. So we'll see. Time will only tell. But now let's get through. We've gone through recruiting. 
We've gone through all the other sports. It's time to recap, Neil, where we are at the spring practice here. We have basically reached, I would say, past the halfway point in the spring practice schedule. This past week, we had our first scrimmage, and we saw a couple of tidbits and some of the highlights get dropped on social media. I would say that it seems like it was a little bit on the lower end of what we've seen leak out, but some of the reports coming out are that it was a solid first scrimmage, not a great one, not even a bad one, because there have been bad scrimmages in the past that we've reported on. But I think overall, what are your initial takeaways from the spring thus far? Maybe we can start on the offensive side of the ball because I think a lot of fans want to talk about the quarterback position. But overall, what do you what have you been hearing about the spring and and where this team is at? Been saving my voice mostly for this, at least since the baseball softball piece of it. Um, I mean, there's a lot. I, I put out what I'd been hearing a couple of days ago on the website itself, and. I mean, I'll, I'll go by the same rule that I write about uh, with, with what I talk about with my voice. I'm not going to say anything that hasn't been told to me by two different people, at least. So that way we can eliminate outlier opinions or maybe someone who had a different vantage point or saw something differently, maybe. Um, so with that said, I mean, there, there's so many things like I could I could give you 25. I, I'll, I'll well, let, let's start with the offense. Let's maybe the quarterback. Yeah, so let that's. Yeah, that's that's good. Look at you with the hosting role, facilitating the conversation. <laughs> you may want to do this permanently. Uh, okay, offense. The QB position is very much up for grabs, and I think that there's some concern with that. I think that there is some. I think that there's a good amount of respect for the job. <clears throat> sorry that that Graham Mertz has done coming into the University of Florida as the new guy. Where Jack Miller has been here for a year. He's also been at Ohio State, which you know. Merch was a starter at Wisconsin, but let's face it, there, there's there's probably 10 times the pressure on the backup at Ohio State as there is the Wisconsin starter. So Miller has more experience. He's he's dealt with the, the spotlight more. And, you know, Merch has been a great teammate. He's been very, very helpful to, to the younger guys like Max Brown, especially. He's been a good teammate. He's He's very intelligent. And there are some days where he throws beautiful balls. Like he'll go out there and, and he will look – every bit the part of maybe not, I'm not going to say like Tom Brady, but he, he could look like a Kyle Trask where the, the throws are good enough. They're pretty enough. The mechanics are good enough. And the decision-making that he shows is what you want from a division one quarterback. And then there are days where he goes out and he looks like true freshman Felipe Franks or Treon Harris as a passer, not as a runner. Obviously this guy merch is not a 10th of runner Treon Harris was, but as a, as a thrower of the football, he looks like, Felipe Franks is a true freshman. It's it's very, very, very hit or miss. And it's it's just it falls anywhere on the scale from different days. So that's not what you want from a guy that you go after in the transfer portal and you get, especially when you don't wind up with Jaden Rashada in that locker room. When you go get someone through the transfer portal, you want experience and you want someone who can get you through that year or to the or at the very least get you through like half of a year before a true freshman explodes onto the scene and just takes over the starting role and gets you maybe, you know, four and one or five and two or something, gets you a respectable start to the year before the true freshman is just too good and too explosive to keep on the bench anymore. So Graham Mertz has not shown that he's going to be able to do that so far consistently. Like I said, he's had days that, that are great. He's had days that are, 
that are not great. And the lack of consistency is frankly, for someone of his experience level, pretty concerning. Yeah. And I mean, and I think we kind of knew that when he did join the team back in December, you know, and, and to be fair to the staff in, in regard to t- that transfer, that transfer transpired before the saga of Jane Rashada happened. So I think when we took him, there was the expectation that you had a freshman quarterback coming in who was highly rated. You already had two on the roster that you had recruited in the previous season, and then you were bringing in uh, a veteran transfer. So th- I think there was th- the plan kind of changed. Moving forward after the spring, based on what the staff has seen thus far, there are some rumors, and and I and maybe you could speak to this too, that the staff is going to be looking at the transfer portal to see what shakes out of other quarterbacks. They've taken a lot of preferred walk-ons to be in the room, but obviously those aren't guys you're counting on to start an SEC team like the University of Florida. So I do think that the staff is going to go into the portal and see maybe who's not going to win a job or who's looking for a different situation. There are multiple quarterback battles going around the country amongst quarterbacks that are highly rated and have either experience or were highly rated at high school. So I do think there is a chance that Florida takes, they need a fourth scholarship quarterback right now. They only have three. Uh, That being said though, Neil knows this. I I have been very high on, I've been on the Max Brown train. I I think that he was much maligned when we took him. I think fans and, and I think, you know, we're all guilty of it. We look at the rating. We look at who's recruiting him and we say, that guy is not going to make it. And and to be in, he did not have very many offers. He was a, a dual sport athlete out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. But you put on the tape, there are some impressive highlight reels there. He's a very mobile quarterback, has a rocket of an arm. I think probably has better arm strength, I would say, than even Jack Miller does, potentially even Graham Mertz, and had an extremely high completion rating in high school. And, and, and that's not going to fully translate to the college game. But I do think that those intangibles of understanding where the ball needs to go, understanding, you know, who your checkdowns are, that that is completion ratings that high don't just come out of thin air. You that's because you either know your reads or you know where you need to put the ball, and if certain things happen with the defense. So I think Max Brown has an opportunity to potentially at least play his way up into the QB2 role. There's more upside to actually have him be quarterback two going into the season, even if you do go with Mertz based on his experience, purely by the fact that Max Brown redshirted last year and has four years of eligibility. And I think a lot of people next year have anticipate Lagway to come in and even maybe even start, but you still would rather have a guy like Max Brown who has far more eligibility left, more of a future in the program, to maybe even take that role. So we'll see. I, I, I'm kind of optimistic about that. And, and I think a lot of times these situations just kind of play themselves out. So we need to wait and see. But I would anticipate the staff to go into the portal again to get a fourth quarterback, regardless of if they go with Mertz or somebody else in that room. And I, I also think that Mertz has only been in this quarterback room for three going on four months now. He's going to need time to adjust with his receivers. He's going to need time to work with him over the summer months and into fall camp. This is going to look very different come August when we kick off against Utah. And I do, I I would say if I'm projecting right now, Mertz is the starter just because of his experience. They're kind of angling this thing to, for him to be the starter. So we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, but you know, I think 
we need to be patient and kind of see how the rest of the scrimmages go, how the orange blue game goes. And then we'll see what happens afterward, if they go to the portal or not. But moving uh, on to other sides, uh, other skill positions, obviously the running back position, I think is pretty well established. Florida might have the best duo in the SEC and Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson. Maybe believe Montreal Johnson might be the one a, but I mean, it really doesn't matter. They both bring their own, you know, skill set to the table here. So that that's neither here nor there. So that I don't think we really need to get too deep into that. The receiver room, though, is one that is starting to, you know, raise a lot of eyebrows, especially with a guy and a recruit that we talked about extensively last year and Andy Jean. Andy Jean has been flashing in practice, flashing in highlight films, a lot of the videos that have been coming out from some of the beat reporters at practice. This is a guy that I think is probably going to start game one up at Utah. I mean, I, I I just don't see there isn't a lot of bodies coming back, a lot of production in that room outside of Ricky Pearsall and maybe Xavier Henderson. You know, we lost Justin Shorter to the NFL draft. We need another receiver to take to, to take that lead in there. And I think Andy Jean could be that guy. So I don't know what you think about that, Neil, but I, I definitely think Andy Jean is a guy to look out for. Yeah. Um I don't want to skip completely over running backs, though. I do want to shout out Cam Carroll. I've heard good things about him. I think it's very much assumed that, as you said, Etienne and Johnson, in some permutation, will be the top two running backs of Florida. But Cam Carroll's done nothing to to merit just glossing him over and forgetting about him. He has made a good case for some touches. It may be in mop-up duty if all Florida really needs are Johnson and Etienne, and we get more out of the passing game than I than I think any of us are thinking. But SEC teams really do need three running backs if they're going to be competitive or if they're going to solely lean on their running game because they don't have a passing game. In either case, I think three running backs is is the status quo. And I think Florida was expecting to get more out of their first two than that they're going to need uh, with – I'll I'll say this a different way. I think Florida was expecting a higher percentage of of the big important carries to go to Johnson and Etienne then um then they're gonna wind up giving them because Carroll has has made a very good case for himself this spring. He he looks quick, the feet look very, very good. Um he's catching balls out of the backfield, which obviously helps his case if Florida is gonna is gonna have a struggling quarterback. He may as well put some flares and some swings in there to maybe get the QB some confidence to get him some, you know, check marks like, hey, completed pass, completed pass, just to make him, you know, feel a little better about himself. So He's he's really helped his case there. Receiver wise, I mean, you touched on Andy Jean. You we don't have Eugene Wilson yet, but I mean, he's going to be a guy that I think is an instant impact playmaker. But because we only have the two in Mizell and Jean, and you touched on Andy Jean, I'll I'll use my time to talk about Aiden Mizell. He is a speed demon. That guy can absolutely fly. He and Jakeem Jackson. We'll talk about the corners in a minute, but. Those two have had some battles from what I've heard. Those those have been some elite on elite receiver on cornerback battles for some jump balls um, and, and just, just some like shuttle drills. The two are, I mean, from what I hear, I'm not there. Again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm there watching myself, but from what I hear from people who are, the two are pretty close. They, they work hard against each other. It's an iron sharpens iron kind of thing where, you know, they, they came together as, as fellow Gators in that last class, and they have used each other's skills to help make themselves better. So I'm very, very high on Mizell because he has looked very, very good so far. 
Um, who has thrown, been throwing him the ball has been uh, more of a concern than than him catching it. But if Florida gets some respectable QB play, I think he could be an immediate impact guy at receiver. Yeah, and I, and I kind of – I don't want to – I hate comparisons to guys, but kind of reminds me. He's got that real long, wiry frame, real speedster, like a Devontae Smith. And a lot of people – and the only reason I make that comparison is a lot of people said to Devontae Smith he wasn't going to make it in the college game because he had no muscle, he had no size. But he used just pure athleticism to – you know, make it and be a star, win the Heisman Trophy at University of Alabama, and now he's a star in the NFL. Uh, the when you're an athletic guy, you're going to flash on film, you're going to make plays, and I think Ada Mizell is going to have an opportunity to do that in his freshman year, primarily just because of the fact that I just don't think outside of Ricky Pearsall there is a proven wide receiver in that room. I'm really rooting for Xavier Henderson. I think he's a great guy. He's been a great teammate and a great guy in the program. But you know, he was a top 100 kid coming out of high school. And down in Miami. And I think there was an expectation because he was a, um, you know, Henderson's brother. He was going to come to Florida, CJ Henderson's brother. He was going to come to Florida and he was going to be a star just like his brother. And it just hasn't panned out. I, I, I just don't think it has. And I really hope that he can step into that wide receiver tool world this year. But if not, you got Andy Jean, you've got Aiden Mizell. And like you mentioned, you got Trey Wilson coming in the fall. So we're going to talk about some other pass catchers really quick and then offensive line, and then we'll move to the defense. So tight end room is kind of intriguing to me. You know, you've got three guys that the staff has recruited, Arliss Boardingham, Hayden Hansen, and Tony Livingston. Billy Napier actually took the time to praise them in his recent press conference the other day. The one name that I think that is starting to really turn some heads is Richard Freshman. Arliss Boardingham, who has made some impressive one-handed catches in practice. We knew he had the size, the athleticism, the makeup of what a modern tight end can be, but he's starting to show it in practice. And with the, you know, the ACL recovery of, of Odom, that we don't know if he's going to be able to be ready by the season. You know, unfortunately, we lost Keon Zipper again. And, and, you know, thoughts and prayers to him during his recovery as he tore his ACL and will be unavailable for the 2023 season. He has indicated that he probably will come back in 2024. So we wish him the best in that recovery and hopefully he can make him it back. Um, but, you know, you look at a guy like Dante Zanders, who I think is an effective blocking tight end, but he's not really a great pass catching tight end. In Florida, for this offense to flourish and build your system, you need tight ends that can do both. And I think the guys that we've mentioned here in Hanson uh, and Boardingham and Livingston, they have that athletic ability where, you know, maybe they're not the best blockers, but I think they could step into the role as the pass catchers. Um, Neil, I don't know if you want to have any thoughts on the tight ends. Yeah, I mean, we heard a lot about Xanders doing big things last spring. I think uh, it was actually a Twitter user that pointed this out. I've, I've always said I want to make this more interactive of a podcast and get the Twitter users involved. So here he goes, a shout out, although I can't recall who, who said it. But um, anyway, yeah, it was a Twitter user that pointed out, yeah, you know, you said the same thing last year. Xanders is doing big things last year and it just didn't pan out in the field. And I saw that and I'm like, well, damn, I can't point out the lie in that that's absolutely true because we are hearing good things about Xanders uh, as a tight end this spring. And it sounds very similar to what we heard about him last year, but Arlo's boarding him is the name that I think is really, as, as you said, the, the name that's really coming to my attention the most Xanders, his name is, is coming my way. I'm hearing good things about him. He does seem to be developing somewhat as a pass catcher, but he's just not athletically 
they have like like he's he's never gonna be and forget Kyle Pitts because that was that's a unicorn. He's never gonna be like a Jordan Reed or you know a or, or a Siante Lewis type. He's just it's just not gonna happen. Or DeAndre Goolsby. He's just not that kind of, of tight end. He could be a good blocking tight end who you can throw one or two passes a game to, but he's just not gonna be the guy that stretches the defense and forces them to use a linebacker in coverage and create that natural mismatch, which is where I think the game of football is going. And boarding him is stepping up and becoming that guy. He's gotten, I've, I've, I've heard some, some rumors that, that he is becoming very, very adept in the art of pissing off linebackers and the fact that they have to cover him in, in pass catching drills. So you know, it's uh, they don't make a huge deal of it. It's it's football practice. You don't think about it too much. But you're just like, oh, god damn it, I don't want to have to cover this. So I'll take the next rep. You you get you get boarding in this one. I got to get water. Or something. It's just it's a little like fun sort of two second thing. But it it is noteworthy that Boardingham is becoming that guy that that linebackers are just like, ah, oh, damn it, you, yeah, you take this one. I got to tie my shoe. Like it's noteworthy that Florida has a guy who is of that caliber. So good for him in that respect. Um, I'm hopeful that what we're hearing about Hayden Hansen turns out to be true. Um, I also go back to what I heard about Dante Sanders last fall. We heard great things. We you know, heard he was becoming that much better of a pass catcher. Um, Hansen has a couple of nice highlight reel catches, I think more than we saw from Sanders in either of the past two springs. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But ultimately, I think Florida's tight end room, even without zipper, is going to be okay. I don't know that I'd call it a strength, especially with, you know, without Jonathan Odom's status known yet. I think we'll have to wait and see, but I don't think it'll be something that we look at as a weakness like we did last year. I would agree with that. And I think best case scenario for this room is you have a healthy Jonathan Odom by season, the season starting, and he is ultimately your starter because I think he flashed a lot toward the end of last season. And then maybe a guy like Arliss Boardingham, you bring him in for mismatches. I don't think Boardingham's a guy that's going to be an every down tight end, but you bring in that, uh, you work in that 11, 12 personnel. That's when you start to work him in and exploit some of the mismatches with the defense, especially as you mentioned at that linebacker position. Finally, we'll finish off with offensive line and move over to defense. What I'm hearing about the offensive line is that this is a line that, you know, while we did lose Osiris Torrance, while we've had some drama uh, with Micah Mazuka, we are, are are starting to maybe piece together an offensive line that can go eight to ten guys deep, which is what Billy Napier wants to see. So, you know, I think right now it's still kind of uncertain of what the order will be, where guys line up. But the, the all indications are that the transfers outside of Mizuka because of his injury are contributing heavily at spring practice. The staff believes that they will start or play meaningful snaps this season. And then you pencil in guys like an Austin Barber, as you mentioned in your notes uh, today on the website. Definitely invite those to go read those if you haven't already. But you know, he's a guy that is potentially becoming an all SEC caliber offensive lineman. And that is huge news uh, when you have a new quarterback starting this year, especially one that may not be mobile, that you, you're going to need that blind side protection. Austin Barber could potentially provide that. 
And then you work in a guy like Kingsley Agukon, who's started at the center role now for two seasons. This will be his third year if he is indeed, again, the starter. Although I think a lot of people have been hearing that Jake Slaughter has been surprising some people at that position on the interior side of things. You know, maybe he works at center. Maybe he works at guard. There's some flexibility and options there. But that goes to the fact that the staff has been very effective at bringing in transfers, has been very effective at developing some of the talent already on the roster. And that's a testament to Darnell Stapleton and Rob Sale. People People really were kind of skeptical, I think, of this two offensive lineman coach approach. It hasn't yielded fully the results I think we would have liked on the recruiting trail at the high school level. But I think it's starting to yield and pay big dividends in the development side of things. And, you know, you can't knock that. And and, and I think in, in the college game, most of the recruits you bring in at the offensive line are not going to be your major four or five star guys. You're going to have a lot of three star guys. You might have those low to mid level four star guys, and you're going to have to develop them over a two to three year period for them to contribute finally at the University of Florida or any other big SEC school like us. So I, I'm really so far, I'm actually I, I'm a fan of it. I think it's it's shown, you know, some uh some good development for us. And I, and I look forward to seeing what else they can do as a staff. So Neil, I don't know if you have any other thoughts too on offensive line. Well, from, from what I was able to um, discern, it felt like the, after the Cam Waits injury, who another guy that we're extending our best wishes to uh, that, that really sucks. That was just so unfair, but you know, it happened. We got to move on. It felt like Florida staff was very, very confident that the starting offensive line would be left tackle Austin Barber, left guard Micah Miskua. Center was a little more up in the air, but I think people thought it was going to be Kingsley. Right guard would be Richie Leonard, and right tackle would be Damian George with Keontae Goodwin and Roderick Kearney on standby. I think that things have shifted a bit, obviously with Miskua's uh, now, since deleted tweet that he was going to enter the transfer portal, which side note was three weeks away from even being open for business when he put that out there. But beside the point, um, yeah, I, I think Florida now doesn't really know exactly what they're going to do with what you said about Jake Slaughter with him stepping up and, and doing a very good job um, so far. And, and Muskua's future being very much up in the air. Even the injury aside, does he want to be here? You don't put that tweet out if you're just screwing around. There's there's some real discontent there um, that I can I can vouch was the case that led him to do that. It's more than just his injury, but yeah, I think that Florida is still in a good spot even without Miskua. If it turns out he doesn't play for Florida this year, whether because of the injury or the transfer, I think that uh, Keontae Goodwin is is going to be a guy that. Florida can eventually count on. I think that he was a little slow out of the gates once, like once, once he made the move to transfer, once he announced he was coming to Florida, there's typically, you'd like to think that there's going to be a a very, very quick uh, transition period between I'm a, I'm a Gator commit to a signee to where do I fit in the depth chart? And I think that that transition period was a little bit longer. I think there was a bit of a honeymoon phase with him, but I think that's, that, that seems to be ending now. And I think he does have a good shot to play uh, in the fall for the Gators. But I think the other spots with Barber, you know, he has done a phenomenal job this this spring so far from all accounts. Uh, from Leonard and from Damian George, I think those are very, very solid spots for Florida. Uh, and we just got to wait and see what winds up happening with Ms. Kua and I guess the battle between Kingsley and Slaughter at center. But I think that even with all the losses that Florida had, 
after last year, plus Cam Waits injury, plus potentially the Mescua injury costing him his season. I think f- with all that taken into account, with that context, I think Florida is in a tremendous spot with its offensive line. Agreed. And they're going to have to be strong, not just for the blocking, but I think the identity of his team is going to be utilizing the two great running backs in Johnson and ETN. So we're going to need to be pushing guys around with that. So we'll move to the defensive side of the ball here. And we'll, we'll start with the secondary. The big news of the offseason was we've had some shakeup there at the defensive, uh, the defensive side. Austin Armstrong, now the defensive coordinator. And with that, it moved over an opportunity for Corey Raymond to not just coach deep cornerbacks, but also safeties. And Austin Armstrong is still working with safeties. That is his natural position for coaching as well as linebackers. But this has been an opportunity for him to Corey Raymond to actually coach the whole secondary. And it seems like the communication between that might actually be there this year, or it wasn't this past season and we could see some improvements. So, what are we seeing from this room, The uh, this just this whole group as a whole? Safeties, corners, everybody's talking about it. Jason Marshall has been maybe the star, the returning star of this team. This is his money year, third year in the program, was a five-star athlete coming out of high school. You know, I mean, I think he's been solid since coming out of high school, but he hasn't really become that all-conference player. But from what a lot of people are reporting, and I think this has been pretty consistent, Neil, is that he has been a just – a, a absolute pass breakup king. You know, I think he he's been it's been an, an island out there locking people down, and and then opposite side of him is really where the drama is and who's potentially going to start. Jadon Hill has been working more at that star nickel rule, which has got to be fixed finally at the University of Florida. It hasn't been the same ever since Chauncey Gardner Johnson has left. We just haven't found a guy that can play the position adequately. And it's really hurt us and the defensive side of things and and the back half of that defense. So if he is able to play that role successfully, that's huge because then you could potentially slot in a guy like a freshman and Jakeem Jackson to play the other corner role who I think a lot of people have been, have been pretty high on. And then the safety room, people kind of, I think, assume that it's going to be Miguel Mitchell and assume it's going to be Kamari Wilson. Kamari Wilson, obviously, was the the crown jewel of the first class that Billy Napier brought in high school-wise. But then you look at a guy like Miguel Mitchell, not so highly recruited, but came in his freshman season and played some meaningful snaps. And, and I think is probably, right now, at least the favorite to start opposite of him. There are rumors that this room might experience another transfer, uh, bringing in a transfer to the program just for debt purposes at the very least. But what are your thoughts thus far on the secondary and everything that's been going on there? Yeah, I mean, Jason Marshall doing a very good job in the spring is another something that I think we're used to hearing. He did a good job in the spring last year, too. And he had a, a solid season, but not a great one. So with him, I'm more in a position of, okay, we, we know he's extremely talented. Let's, let's see him do it on the field in the fall. Um, but I mean, obviously the potentials there, the five-star ranking was there for a reason. He, I don't think has played quite at that level. I think he is another, I, th- I think he is the cornerback version so far of maybe a CC Jefferson or a Martez Ivy who come in with those ridiculously high hyped 
uh, or yeah, that that ridiculously high amount of hype, and has done he's done fine, but he hasn't been a star so far. I think this is a year <clears throat> where obviously he's going to have to you know do something to change that, or else that's going to be uh, maybe kind of his legacy. But uh, yeah, so so spring practice doesn't really do it for me with him after the last couple of years. But uh, the guy that I've been impressed with so far, from what I've been you know, again, I'm not there, but from what I've been hearing from everyone is Jakeem Jackson has been an absolute star in the making at corner, could potentially start at corner. It would be, I mean, Jason Marshall was a was a true freshman starter at corner, which I think uh, was the first since Janoris Jenkins as a true freshman at the University of Florida. Jakeem Jackson could very well be the second at that CB2 spot. Jaden Hill, I think, as you said, is going to be more focused on that that hybrid role at Florida as, as opposed to just a pure corner, but Jackson is so fast. That's the thing. Like every single person goes out of their way to rave about this kid can absolutely fly. There was a note I posted on the website and my, my takeaways where, you know, he, he doesn't get burned very often. So that this was the anomaly. This was the fluke where he took a wrong step and got beaten by Aiden Mizell on a, on a stutter and go and 15 yards or so down the, down the field, Jackson had already caught up with him in a straight foot race. And Mizell is, is very fast in his own right. Like he is not just your, your average sec receiver. He is, he is being dropped and dra- dragged and dropped into the Florida program as an, as a well above average speed guy for an sec receiver. And he had Jakeem Jackson beaten by, two or three steps and 15 yards later, Jackson had caught up with him because he was just that blazing uh, as, as, his, as a pure straight line speed guy. So that's really, really impressive to me to note that, you know, you have to rely more on your technique in college than you do in high school. You can, you can kind of get away with false steps and getting, getting roasted. Cause if you have that speed, you can make it up very quickly. You can't get away with that in college or so you think, because Jackson just did that. And to me, that's, that, that that was that was an eyebrow raising text that I got. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But I asked around and other people confirmed me. Yeah, that happened. So obviously a tremendous thing to, to note about him. I, I would like to see the technique get to a point where, you know, he's not getting burned at all by guys like that. I mean, it's obviously gonna happen, but I, I was told that the reason he got beat was he got a little lazy with his technique and he bit on a fake and was in bad position to adjust to it. So I'd like to see him maybe work on that a bit, but the the future and the ceiling for him is, is so, so high that I think if he continues to take strides, he could be another phenomenal corner in Florida's long line of them. And, and as safety, Devin Moore, I wouldn't write him off. I, don't, I think that was the one guy you didn't mention. Um, you know, he played some as a true freshman last year, him and Kamari Wilson, both coming in on signing day as flips, uh, Kamari Wilson from Georgia, Devin Moore from Notre Dame, flipping over to Florida and got some g- legitimate playing time, you know, non-mop-up duty playing time for Florida. I think if he continues to take strides this spring, he could be another guy that we're looking at as a valuable piece in the secondary. Oh, and and Jalen Kimber, I've got to mention, he's had a very good spring himself too. So a lot, a lot of good stuff to know from the secondary, which I guess is what you expect when you hire Corey Raymond to be the secondary coach. I think the thing with the secondary we have to look out for, though, is depth. There there are a lot of guys that are coming into the program that may not have the experience, and we may be a little bit at thin, especially at that corner position. We might, we're might we going to probably have to count on at least one freshman to start, and that's, I think, why a lot of people are identifying Jakeem Jackson. Hopefully a guy like Sharif Denson also. I think he got a lot of praise, too, uh, coming out of high school in the Jacksonville area. So I, I hope that he 
contributes in some way. And and it would be great to see Jalen Kimber, who was injury riddled uh, in his first season here at Florida, but came from the University of Georgia, was a former top 100 player coming out of high school. And who can forget it was the reason why we beat USF this past season with his pick six when he, when he was wearing a club on his hand. If it weren't for that, we would have suffered a, a pretty excruciating loss to, to USF. So I think that, you know, there's a lot to there's a lot to be looking forward to with this room. And we can put a lot of trust in Corey Raymond. We'll see how it all plays out, though, as the defense has to improve. And a lot of that is predicated on the secondary. So now that we've covered that, we'll wrap up here with the front seven of things. Defensive line, you know, we lot a lot of transfers in uh, at the at that at that position, that group, especially in the interior side. And we had our our good friend of the program, Cameron Jackson, come on here to the pod and, and discuss his transition here. He's a guy that I think has been flashing a lot to a lot of people, and, and, and I think from what all indications might have maybe pushed Des Watson out of his starting role, or at, at least is starting to take a lot of minutes from him. So it was good to see him kind of come over here and immediately make an impact. And then you have Gila Banks, as a lot of reports are that he is also making an impact at the defensive tackle position and the interior side of things. Of course, Princely Uman Yilin, I think everybody kind of expects him to be that strong side defensive end. He started there last year. I think he's going to start again this year. And, and this is a big opportunity for him to prove himself going into what probably will be his final year in Gainesville before he tries to make the big jump to the NFL. And then kind of looking at the linebacker position, you know, I, I, I look at a guy like Deraja Mitchell, who many believe is starting to become that Ventrum Miller of the defense. And I think people identified him as that potential role, the veteran player coming from a big program like Ohio State and playing that interior side of the, of the linebacker unit. I think, you know, he's starting to show things in practice that where he could be that leader of the defense, getting guys aligned and making sure everybody's playing sound in that front seven. Uh, and then I think uh, Shamar James is that other guy that I think is really starting to pop, starting to showcase his ability of being that all SEC player. You know, I think he showed a lot of potential last year and, and, and he played immediately. I mean, he was playing big time snaps in the Utah game last year from the get go. And he's a guy that already is starting to show that he will probably be starting somewhere in that linebacker unit. I think there's debate on who is the other guy, but I think there's no debate on Shamar James is going to be a starter at the linebacker unit this year, and he's going to be counted on to make some big plays. And he's that guy that can rush the passer. He's the guy that can be a run stopper, but he also has that ability to draw back pass coverage, which kind of encompasses that complete linebacker that all not all linebackers have in the college game but he does showcase that ability. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about the unit as a whole. I think that there's opportunity for improvement this year and, and just overall better communication amongst all of the different position groups on the defensive side of the ball. I think there's a certain amount of energy that we've started to see in the defensive room. Just, I want to say that out loud with the incoming of Austin Armstrong. I don't know what kind of a coach uh, Patrick Tony was in the locker room I don't know if he was a fiery rah-rah guy. Not all coaches have to be that. But Austin Armstrong, you know, just talking about him a little bit, he really just looks like that prototypical SEC defensive coordinator, kind of cut from the same cloth of a Will Muschamp or a Kirby Smart. And if you actually listen to him talk in his first introductory press conference, he sounds a lot like Kirby Smart, just kind of his mannerisms and the way he talks. And 
you know what? If if that's who he ends up becoming and, and that kind of level of defensive coordinator, that Billy Napier made a heck of a hire and, and, and stole a guy from Nick Saban at Alabama. But I just think you just kind of look at some of the practice notes. There's some cautious optimism with that room. And it can't get much worse, Neil. It truly cannot get much worse. That was the historically, as you've mentioned, ad nauseum last year on the podcast, the worst defense since World War II uh, at the University of Florida. I mean, it maybe it truly probably was in the history when you consider just modern college football, the athleticism and the uh, the talent that we sh- on paper had, and we made a lot of changes. We brought in a lot of transfers at that side of the ball, especially at the defensive line, like we mentioned. But I think overall, when you just really just kind of look at the front seven, there's some improvement here. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of have to, no? I mean, it's, it's 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 weird because you lose two guys in Amari Bernie and Ben Sean Miller who gave their heart and soul for the program for four years. I, I say this more about – I say this much more about Amari Bernie than I say about Ben Sean Miller. But, you know, for all he did for Florida – and for you know all the respect in the world I have for him as a player, Florida's kind of going to be better without him because he was not recruited to Florida to be a guy who is covering tight ends or receivers. College football is just naturally headed in that way where linebackers, as just part of their job description, are going to have to play some coverage. And Amari Bernie wasn't recruited to Florida to do that. He was recruited by Jim McElwain's staff in 2017 where that just wasn't a priority. I mean, yeah, it, it was kind of a job requirement then, but I think I think there was more of a, an assumption that you just needed one linebacker to be the cover linebacker on a tight end. Now all linebackers have to do it because I mean, we see it with Utah. We're going to face them game one where they've got those two tight ends in in Dalton Kincaid and Brent Keith. We we saw them last year. They teams are just going to have multiple tight ends. You talk about you know eleven and twelve personnel being a problem like. If earlier in the pod, well, Utah's got two tight ends that could be very problematic for any defense to face. And I think more and more teams are just going that way. So Bernie, because he, he just didn't have that skill set, now not being at, you know, on this defense, as grateful as I'll always be to him for that pick against Utah, that just he, he couldn't do it. He got burned earlier in that game by their tight ends repeatedly because that just wasn't his skill set. So no, no, enough about him. I'm not, I'm not here to, to bash him. He was, a, he was a great player for Florida. But Shamar James is just more naturally equipped to do that. Shamar James just has that skill set. He's he's got the he's got the quickness with his feet. I think he's got the 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 IQ needed to sort of detect what routes are coming and maybe you know and j- just play them better. I think he can recover more quickly with his feet. I, I think he's just more of a natural overall all around leader of a defense type of linebacker as opposed to just a very you know sound tackler who can also make a play in the backfield here and there. So Miller is going to be harder to replace, but I think with a guy like Mitchell coming in, who's got that experience, I don't want to say that that's addition by subtraction because it's not, but I think that the, the drop-off is going to be a lot less than people think because of that experience um, that, that he brings. And, those, and then there's, there's going to be Deuce Spurlock, who's going to eventually have a role on that defense. I don't know exactly where, but I think he is going to be someone that, if nothing else, sees time in packages for Florida's defense. Uh, and then for the defensive line, another transfer, 
talking about uh, Cam Jackson a few minutes ago. He's a guy that, as you mentioned, we had on the podcast, and he was very he was very quick to ingratiate himself into Gator Nation. And it, it may not seem like a huge deal to talk about how the guy went to a volleyball game and just you know signed autographs for fans, but it you can see that it really means something to him because we we all know his backstory about how he wanted to be an LSU Tiger so bad, but he didn't get the chance. He wound up at Memphis. And now, as we talked about on the podcast with him, this is his redemption story. This is his second chance to be an SEC football player. There, there's just something about that kind of guy that like recruiting is never a very easy answer. You can never know who's going to pan out, but that kind of player with that profile just feels like they're that much more likely to pan out and him coming to the university of Florida. And he's done nothing in practice to dissuade me from thinking this, but with, with just with his backstory and coming to Florida with that hunger that he showed us on the pod and just the, the love and, and appreciation for the program that he has and the, 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 the gratefulness he has to be a part of the program. I think he's going to be a very hard player to keep off the field. I think he's going to make a lot of plays for us this year. So, yeah, there have been personnel losses. Um, I don't really think Florida's ever really recovered from losing Zach Carter a couple of years ago on the defensive line. But I think if you get a little bit more production out of a guy like Princely this year with some more consistent help from the interior of that defensive line that we did not have a year ago, I think Florida's defense will take a massive step forward. Will it be good enough to – to get into the top 20, the top 10 of the rankings, like they usually are or were before Todd Grantham got here. Probably not because that's asking for a great deal. But I think that there's certainly the potential to get from 102 in the country into the top 30, 35-ish or top 40-ish. Because that's that's what that's where they were with Austin Armstrong at Southern Miss. They were 42 in the country with significantly less talent. Uh, granted, they also played significantly less talent, but – he, along with the personnel that I think Florida is is showing that they have, I think have what it takes to take a massive step forward this year. Yeah, it's going to have to. If we're not as explosive on offense as we were last year, we're going to have to step up on the defensive side of the ball. We mentioned if we would have even just had an average defense last year, we could have been a team that had eight, nine, ten wins. That, that that really was why it pulled us back and, and kept us from having a great first year under Billy Napier. So we'll see what happens. But if we can have that improvement, I definitely think it bodes well for Napier in year two where he has to show improvement. So I think that's all from us tonight. It's been a great show. It's good to be back and kind of recapping all a, a slew of Gator sports, catching up on recruiting news and then really getting in-depth with what's been going on with the football program at spring practice. I think there's a lot of excitement with with spring practice getting ready to come to a close, and then they're all going to showcase it here in three weeks' time at the Orange and Blue game in Gainesville. So with that, we'll be signing off uh, tonight here on This Was the On All Kinds of Weather Forecast podcast. Uh, please leave us a five-star review at the in Apple podcast, and – Make sure to follow us on all of our handles, uh, the Instagram handle at All Kinds of Weather blog, at In All Kinds of Weather on Twitter, and then the In At All Kinds of Weather recruiting handle uh, where you can keep up with all your recruiting news. Thank you. Go Gators, and have a great night. Good job hosting, Chris. Uh, I think this was your second. I think I was sick before and you hosted another one, but uh yeah man it's been fun it's great to be back great to talk gators again and um hopefully we can do them more frequently and hopefully i have more than 40 percent of my voice power 
for next time. But until next time, y'all go Gators. And hopefully I'll see some of y'all in games. I'll be there for the orange and blue game along with the, the Georgia baseball series that weekend. Um, hope to see y'all there. Go Gators. We got football in just a couple weeks.